Welcome on in to Empower Talks. This is the podcast where we talk about careers with people across the insurance industry. So in today's episode of Empower Talks, I'm really pleased to have Eric Johnson with us, who's Deputy Active Underwriter at Victor. And in addition to an impressive on-the-job career, Eric has been involved in a huge amount of initiatives around the um, insurance industry for networks and inclusion, uh, and in particular is co-founder of Inclusion at Lloyd's. So uh, we're going to have Eric here today to tell us a little bit about and what he's getting involved in and how other people in the market can get involved in that as well. So nice to have you here, Eric. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. And it's great to be seeing you. Um, so we haven't seen each other for since since the beginning of lockdown. So uh, we are going to be having a conversation where I'm going to learn a lot of new information. I reckon I'm a bit outdated on, on some of these updates. So um, I'm intrigued to hear a lot about what's been going on because I've been seeing lots of activity and um, engagement on your LinkedIn for some of these initiatives. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they're going. Thank you. So let's make a start with how you got into insurance. We do like to talk about that in the podcast Uh and get an idea of people's journeys in. And yours is is a unique one uh, because you came in with the intention of joining. Well, well, it's 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 even if you go back a little bit further than that. So I, I went to university a bit later than most. So my in a previous life, I was a professional ballet dancer, which is my little secret. And so I went away to, to ballet boarding school, if there's such a thing in Canada. And then when I graduated, I had a job. Um, but when I was about 20, I hurt myself. So I had, to, you know, I had to give up my job after two years. And I went to university and ran into someone from junior high school who had also was a mature student. And he had played hockey and he'd hurt himself. And I got into insurance because he said, I'm taking this insurance class next semester. Do you want to take it with me? And it was as like it was as basic as that. So I I took it and was and I thought okay I'm intrigued about this, and um, I did a, a summer internship at Marsh, um, in Calgary. Um, just sort of proved to myself that you know wasn't going to be just sitting there you know pushing and selling house insurance. Well, this is quite interesting. So then um, that next year I I changed my major and did a bachelor's degree with insurance, risk management, and finance. Um, so I did. Yeah, I did actually, in the end, choose to study it and choose to go into it. So from ballet to insurance, that's that's the first time I've heard that. Yeah, it's <laughs> a unique. Yeah, it's a very different <laughs> industry. Yeah, excellent. And then um, you joined CAS uh, through their master's program. Do you want to share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I um so I I did uh, Marsh's grad training program in Canada, which was great. Um, but I really wanted international or even just outside Calgary where I'm from um, work experience. And it was, I was having a really hard time getting a transfer. Um, and so I was researching, saw that CAS had a master's in insurance and risk. Um, and I managed to get um, funding from RIMS, which is sort of like Aramic in the States. So they paid most of my tuition. Um, and then I got some funding for most of my living accommodation. I thought, actually, this is great. So I upped and moved to the UK to study for a year. And honestly, not with the intention of staying here, but I here I am 16 years later. So like in my year at CAS, I did a bunch of sort of meeting people to figure out what I wanted to do in the industry. And um, my, at the time, I really wanted to move to Ireland for some reason, but um, it didn't work out that way and <laughs> ended up staying in London. Excellent. And the... Um... 
the masters itself is really quite in depth isn't it to to the insurance knowledge so what types of things did you cover within that so it was and it was it was, it was all mostly focused on like property and casualties we did a little bit of life insurance which is the part that i don't like as much um but you had all the models there that you finance marketing um strategy um, risk, but they were all with an insurance lens. So all of your sort of what you might do in a typical business program had an insurance lens um, overlaid it. And then it, it culminated in a, like a master's dissertation. And I did mine on, on captive insurance companies. Um, and it was, it was pretty full on. So you did five, it was five days a week. Um, it was sort of geared so that there were some part-time students on it. So the classes usually didn't start until three. Some days it started at six and they'd always go until nine. And um, at the time I, because I'd moved here from Canada and it was two, I remember this, it was $2.65 to buy a pound. And that was a lot back then. And um, so I had a part-time job as well. So I, I worked part-time at a, at a small Lloyd's broker. And so I did like mornings, early afternoons and then went to school. And I think about that now, and I don't know how I ever did that, you know, because I didn't really ever have, you know, free time. Um, but it was it was great because again, even working while I was doing that that course full time, I was able to like use the Lloyd's Library at the time because they had a lot of, I don't know if you remember they had an actual library in Lloyd's, so it was a great place to do all your homework because it was quiet, and they had all the resource uh, research materials that you need. <laughs> so it was quite, it wasn't a bad gig in the end. Excellent, and then. I should say actually on this podcast because it's not necessarily well well known. The Wedgwood Company of Insurers do offer funding for people mm -hmm. to join that masters. Um, so if anyone listening to this is a student looking at getting into insurance, then um, do check out the WCI's uh, website or get in touch, um, and we can send you the details on who to get in touch with to to apply for that because uh, it is a really good program. There's not so many further educations or, or kind of you know full-time educations that are focused on insurance yeah, certainly in England I know there's a few in, oh. in Ireland but yeah it's not necessarily a, an obvious topic to pick yeah no it's um I it was a, it, for me it was a great experience to get to move over here it was a really good way of like totally immersing yourself in insurance and then I I used my coursework often at times as like an excuse to meet people in the industry because I didn't you know I didn't know anybody and I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do and I was finished so if I had a you know piece of coursework on DNO insurance I would reach out to someone you know on the internet send them an email saying I'm doing this course um, I work in the market you're the head of DNO at, at this X insurance company can I talk to you about this question and nine times out of ten people would say yes because people love talking about themselves and for me, it was great because my coursework, I could, I could say, you know, I could cite in it like an interview with some senior insurance person. So that was my papers were a little bit different, but also it was a way of building a network um, yeah. because I didn't, I, you know, you didn't know anybody and then figuring out what is it I want to do. So to basically part of it was I'm going to interview you for my research, but then also tell me about the, tell me about your career, kind of what we're doing now. So what did you do? How did you get here? Where could someone like me fit in within your organization just to expand my horizons of what the art of the possible is because um, like where I started working in Canada, it was basically you're an insurance broker or you're an insurance broker. Like that's it. There's just, that's what exists in Calgary. Whereas you come to London and it's everything, you know, you can do anything in insurance and there's a job for it. So it was, so what it was did good you, for that. What did you end up doing? So I, when I 
graduated, um, in all honesty, I applied for all those grad programs on the internet. And I didn't have a had, I am British, but I hadn't had a British passport yet because, you know, but again, $2.65, and it was 900 pounds to get it. So I was like, that's a lot of money. Uh, almost $3,000 or $2,500 for this passport. So I said, I'm going to get it if I get a job. So whenever you fill out those forms, I would tick and say, do you have the right to work in the UK? And I was like, no. But then in the little text box, I'd say, but I could get it and I will get it if I get a job. But in hindsight, that was quite naive because all it meant was my CD just went into this pot that no one ever phoned back. Um, so I applied for a job at Deloitte because it was properly old fashioned, like send us your CD and send us a cover letter, no online forms. And in it, I said, I will get my passport if I get the job. Um, and lucky for me, I got the job. Um, and But that still makes me laugh because it was the only place that, that I had an interview for. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's such, a, it's such a, a relentless process, isn't it, for graduates applying, oh. applying for jobs? Um, I don't know if, don't know if you've heard, because um, I, I haven't seen you recently, but I've started a TikTok promoting okay, jobs yeah. and insurance on on, um, on on TikTok and lots of the followers are graduates looking for jobs and asking kind of questions around that CV process and they ask quite um, direct questions about why why the process works like that and why they have to go through so many steps and it's really fair <laughs> the questions they're asking but they're just there's so much kind of I guess frustration when you're in that situation you feel like you're trying to do everything but no one's replying to you and yeah um you you don't you don't get the answer but look, just like your example there you only really you you just need that one that one mm -hmm. to work out and then the whole process is a distant memory and something that was well worthwhile doing because you can spend like you can spend hours on an application like that, and that is I'm going back 16 years you think of all the stuff you want to fill out in these in these questionnaires um and then I was doing a talk at the University of Calgary, a couple actually just before lockdown, and um, a student said, "Oh, how do you get ready for a video interview?" And I'm thinking, "Okay, I, I, I you know, I've never, I can do this." So I said, "You know, clear background, quiet, all that kind of stuff." And they said, "No, no, no. I, I, what I mean is, uh, like basically, an avatar speaks to you, so it's like a cartoonish, and then you answer the question to this recording. So it's not even a real interview. So they ask you, and I said, "Okay, that I." Honestly, I have no advice for that. And it kind of terrifies me that you'd be giving an, like an your interview is with a recorded, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's just strange. Yeah. And I said, that, that happens. And they, and they, and I said, okay, that, I don't know. So you're gonna have to ask someone who's younger than me, but that's how much like, you know, the recruitment process has changed that you could submit a recording um, answering questions. And for me, so much of it's like body language. You can see people, is my answer too long? Am I hitting the mark, you know? But if you're if you're doing it sort of into the void, you have no idea if you're giving the answer that they're looking for. So I think that that would take practice to be comfortable sort of being yourself in that environment. I see. It's about it's almost practice being on camera. Which I mean, if you think back to the beginning of lockdown, I know and I, I was I was kind of nervous, like being on camera all of a sudden doing the same talk I was doing face to face the week before. But suddenly when I'm on camera, it's a lot more nerve wracking. And and we kind of all went through that process at the same time. There was a lot more patience and tolerance for people having sort of tech issues over that first sort of six to eight weeks. Yeah. But for these students, they didn't have that. They're suddenly thrown in and their first introduction is all, all being online. And you kind of have an expectation now that they been doing this and they've they not necessarily been using the same technology or had the same independence with that technology so 
it is um it, it is a kind of I think a new learning curve for them in addition to the other stuff they've been doing. Well, one and one of the things I had a conversation with someone about, and it was it was good that their employer picked up on it, was that um I'm sure everyone you hear about companies who've got the tech to see is, is Eric actually logging in? Is Eric actually doing any work? And so, you know, grads thinking that they had to be at their computer and their little thing had to be green, right? Because if, if it's amber, it means you've not done something for know, half an hour. If it's red, you're, you're in a meeting. But you, so they always, they were very aware and, and keeping themselves available all the time. And I, uh, I think it was Willis who said, you know, we, we, we sort of cottoned on to this because some of the grads had this, in their own mind, you could see why you think, oh, actually, I've always got to be busy and doing this. And I can see this little thing that's telling me I'm not working hard enough. And they, said, they, had, to, they had to reach out and say that like, we're not, like, don't worry about that. And we've actually noticed you're not taking breaks. You know, when you're eating, you're, you know, you're not taking a lunch break. You're, you're, you're coming on too early. You're, you're staying on too late. Because um, you can see if, if you don't know, right? Yeah. And if you've just entered the workforce and the first thing you get into is you think, oh, I'm being measured all the time by these, the software in the background. Having someone say to you, like, actually, yes, we have it, but, you know, we want you to take a break and we don't need, you don't need to be busy, you know, 24 hours a day. Um, but you could see how you might fall into that, not having a coworker, because when everyone gets up to go home, you're like, oh, okay, I can go home. But that doesn't happen as much on, yeah. on Zoom, right? It's, it's, so I thought a good thing that they did communicating to grads that actually. <laughs> yeah, no, I hadn't, hadn't thought of it that way. That's, that is, um. That's uh, it can certainly be quite a, a quick bad habit to establish for yeah. people in their first job. Yeah. You know, FaceTime, right? We've all heard about FaceTime at work. You know, you got to be there, you got to be seen. And you know, tech FaceTime is actually, yeah. you know, people, I think people were getting into that that sort of habit. And yeah, I, I think it's really important that everyone knows that actually that's that, that shouldn't be the way it is because <laughs> you can be available all the time now. So you have to probably be a bit stricter about like setting boundaries and that kind of stuff yeah so more recently you you started a new job um during lockdown didn't you so you were one of the people that that did the I remote did. onboarding do you yeah. tell us about that so I all my interviews were remote and that was actually funny enough that was pre-lockdown was because I was I was back home in Canada for a bit and um so all my interviews were on zoom which was fine because it was quite fitting at the end I joined and only did zoom and the onboarding was pretty slick. Like, you know, all of my equipment showed up at my flat on the day it was supposed to show up, but all worked. Um, and what's interesting, like we developed really good team. Like once a week, we'd have like a team just catch up, you know, but it, when it wasn't a work thing, it was like on a Friday. Um, we'd have like team happy hour, um, just getting to know each other. Um, and right now we've got some people over from America, which is great because we're finally able to meet like for the first time face to face, you know, so you think about that, it's the first time in two years that all three of us have been in the same room talking about what we're going to do for work and how we're going to solve a problem. Um, so it's been, it has been interesting um, joining, but I think for me, the probably the hardest part was, well, easier part was because I'm quite outspoken. So I could just, I had no problem dropping an email or speaking up, but you know, you had to force, you have to make the effort to make connections with, with people. So you, know, you normally you might bump into someone in the hallway and have a quick chat. This time you've got to, feels a little bit more formal to send someone a note saying 15 minute gossip, right? But I had to get into the habit, like 15 minute, let's just have a chat about stuff. 
because I needed to get to know people and they needed to get to know me. But you ha- I had to make that effort because otherwise, if you didn't do it, people's diaries are full. And it's not a natural thing to send someone an invitation for a casual conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was something I, I had to do. But um, it's been good. Brilliant. And the role itself is, um, uh, so you're a active underwriter now. So um, so you've got an impressive career already, you know, since, since leaving your education you've flown up the ranks quite quickly I think it's fair to say it's 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 a nice role it it's for me because I again uniquely I am not um I'm not an underwriter in this in the traditional sense so I haven't worked a box at Lloyd's and had people we don't have a box um we write just um delegated underwriting so just cover holder or slash MGA business for our our sister companies that are Victor entities around the world we write about eight contracts a year and then, so, you know, once a year, we put our stamp down eight times, and then it's all about managing managing that and analyzing the portfolio and remediating things and looking for growth opportunities, um, which is, for me, for me, is right up my skill set. So I hadn't been an underwriter, but I've done M&A due diligence and strategy for about eight years, where all you do is kick the tires of someone's business plan to say, do I believe this? Um, which is very similar to the underwriting portfolio of an MGA is, do I believe this data? Like, what is it telling me? And do I believe this? And then um, sometimes when you're doing M&A, you're getting, you're dressing something up for a sale. So you're, this is what the business looks like now. Okay. I need to make this look better to make people interested to buy it. Very similar for if you've got a portfolio of, a, of an MGA and you're like, kind of makes money, but it needs to make more money. So how am I going to make this better? How am I going to improve this? What are we going to do? Um, so it's, it's all the stuff that I've done before, but just in a slightly different way. Um, very good. And you've been particularly busy over the last year with, um, well, two, two things. So firstly, the, the CII partner networks, I know that got a huge response on, on your request on LinkedIn. Do you want to um, tell us a little bit about that program? This, this was great. Um, so I've been doing the CII sort of student and university outreach stuff for since I moved to the UK. As again, it was a way for me to get to meet people because I didn't know, you know, coming here from Canada, I didn't know anybody. So um, I would go to these events and you'd get to meet other professionals and then get to meet students. And with it now, everything being virtual um, and also being aware that the CII sometimes doesn't always get a full slate of volunteers for the certain region, or they might want a graduate from that school to be on the panel, or they might want lawyers, for instance. And so what we did with these diversity networks that exist in the London and UK market is we created a, an online form. Um, so you could say that, you know, this is what I do. This is, this is how long I've been in insurance. This is the university I went to, or actually I didn't go to university. Um, this is the role I have, and then some other demographic factors. So we had a, almost a mini database of 160 volunteers that we attracted that we then handed over to the CII and said, now, if you're doing an event at this university and it's focused on law, you can filter and find a whole bunch of lawyers that you can ask. So you can be more targeted in the volunteering, but then also when we're going out and speaking to students, we can have a nice cross-section and a diverse sort of uh, panel of professionals to talk about their experiences. And when we first had the idea, we thought, okay, well, if we get 50, that's a win. You know, if we get 50 volunteers. And then, you know, the same, that one day we got 50 and then we upped it to 100. And then I said, okay, we're going to make it 200. We didn't make 200. We made, I think, 160. But I still think that's a pretty good, it's a pretty good number. Um, and for me, 
doing those events is is just it takes an hour out of your day. You know, even if you do one a year, um, and now that uh, Levine from the CII who organizes that, it's all remote. You can do it. You know, on your lunch break. Yeah. It, it it doesn't take it doesn't take tons of your time. So, um, no, I, I really enjoy that kind of stuff. That's brilliant. And it's still um, open if people want to volunteer. They can get in touch mm-hmm. with Vivine directly now, or um, would you say that's yep, you can you? you can contact the contact um, Vivine at the CII, um, and then usually I think probably once or twice a month she sends out a schedule of all the upcoming events and the types of volunteers she's looking for, and then you just connect and. It's very slick. It, it's not similar from this. You tell a bit about your career story and then you take questions. Um, and one of the things that I do whenever I do one of those events, like I, I, part of it's a bit of a test. <laughs> I say, anyone who's listening to this, um, you can drop me an email and I'll arrange a coffee, right? So if you, you know, if you connect with me and it might not be this week because I might be really busy, it might be next month, but I'll, I'll have a coffee. And one of the things that surprises me is exactly how few students actually do that so um they often will all connect with me on linkedin which is fine but i said if you if you if you email me and then we have a chat and say they say to me oh i'm looking getting into actuarial but i don't know anybody who does it well sam you and i know people in actuarial so if you drop me an email i'll connect you with someone who will talk to you about a career in actuarial um so i always encourage students to to take take me up on on that offer and I will, I will make time to have a coffee. And then if you need a connection to somebody, um, and funny enough, through the Insurance Cultural Awareness Network, um, we did an event and a young graduate connected with ICANN after the event, who then they referred to me. And um, it was, he's like first in his family to go to university, not from London, but he got a job working at Lloyd's and he's working remotely. And that was great because I said, oh, you know, we could, talk to him about like, this is the kind of stuff that's going to happen interview that these are some resources that you can learn about Lloyd's these are some of the things that is happening right now so when you interview you can talk about you know real like real things because um, it's always good to know a little bit about your employer so you can ask an informed question um, and we were really happy and he ended up getting a job out of it and it's that kind of stuff that you think okay so when, when, when we as professionals do these things it does have an impact yeah, that's great. And and ICANN is one of your networks within inclusion at Lloyd's. So you've been yes. grouping together lots of initiatives that are going on. Um, and I think I, I'm always you know, really impressed and really keen to tell people how many different networks there are across the market. Because uh, well, there's there's constantly events and, and people who you know, you've got um, opportunities to meet and, and share experiences with. Uh, it's often just finding those different networks to start off with. So do you want to share a little bit about how you're kind of trying to strategize what's going on there? Well, it, it's one of the things that we're looking at, um, that we're looking at doing right now to make it easier for people to find out what's going on about all the networks and all the events is actually um, Chris from Apollo Syndicate has offered to, to give us some resources from their tech team to build a new website that's going to have a calendar of events that's going on in the market that are focused on inclusion and diversity and, and networking. And then on that, you'll be able to register for them. So like up until now, it's been hard to know unless you like are signed up to these newsletters that they all send out, you don't really know what's going on. So we thought actually, can we, can we come up with a central place where all this kind of stuff is there and you can direct everybody to it. Um, so that's, that's one of the things we're hoping to do next year so that one, 
we kind of avoid event clash. So sometimes, oops, you know, we've got three events in the industry all on the same week, which is probably a bit too much. So that's one of the reasons we're doing it. But the second one is just so that you can say, oh, go to that website. You know, it could be like, well, I'm not sure what we're going to call it yet. Go to that website and everything you want to know about what's going on in the next two months will be on there. Um, that's excellent. I, I know um, this is something people have been asking for for years. I can remember going to an event uh, with the YMC. Yeah. Probably about four or five years ago. And someone asked at the end, like, is there a list of all of the networks? Is there one place I can find them all? And at the time, the LMA had all the young professional ones. They did. Together. They did. Yeah. Yeah. So I made a PDF document of all of them with hyperlinks, which is filtered around the market. And anyone yeah. can access that on, on my website, just download it and find them all. But I don't know them all. You know, I, I'm just constantly. Well, there's looking so for many. More. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is the thing. There, there are so many. Um, and I, 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 remember, I do remember the, L, the LMA did that exercise a few years ago that you were mentioning to do that. And I, I, there used to be, and I don't know if it still exists, there used to be somewhere through Lloyd's a listing of all the sort of sports and networking and young professional groups. But I don't know if it's there anymore, um, you know, because in the Lloyd's market, there's like the sailing club, the golf club, the rugby club, the netball club, like you can do language classes. There's, there are all these, it's not just diversity and inclusion or young professionals, it's almost anything there's a choir you know but we, yeah you're, like you said where is that central place where you could say to someone every single group that you can imagine in the insurance industry has the presence on this page actually that's an idea maybe we can maybe we should expand this to not just be the the partner networks maybe it should be oh you know all of the groups that exist you can have a you can have a home on our website because yeah. um it is i agree with you there's the world is your oyster when it comes to things you could do in the London there's, market. There's almost an irony that you almost have to have a network to find out about the networks because someone uh -huh. has to tell you about them. So then if you're starting from scratch, it is just so tough, isn't it, to do it on your own? I, and that is true. It's like someone's going to tell you in most cases that they, that they exist. Um, and that's like one of the other things that we, that we do with the partner networks. Um, so we've got... I can, which is focused on multiculturalism, the insurance cultural awareness network. We've got Link, which is the LGBT insurance network. Um, we've got IFN, the insurance families network for families and carers. Um, we've got IDON, the insurance disability, ability and well-being network. Um, we've got Engine for young professionals, next generation insurance network. And I've, I've got one more that I can't even, oh, Jim, the gender inclusion network. Um, so those are those are just six, right? And you think all those acronyms, right? And so what are <laughs> what do they all stand for? Um, and they've all got events, and they've all got committees. Um, and one of the things that we that we're trying to do to raise awareness of them is, is talks like this. But then also, we've got a one page PDF that um, we're encouraging companies when they ever they make put it like in their new joiner pack. So when you join a, an insurance company in, the, in London. This should be in your welcome pack. Just so here, here are six groups you can get involved with that are totally free. Um, and we've had some pretty good uptake on that because, like you said, unless you know about them, unless you've got a network, you don't even know these networks exist. So we thought, okay, how can we make sure that people right off the bat know that these groups exist? So um, that's one thing that we've been able to get done in the past yeah. year. We can include a link to that in the um, notes as well on this podcast if you if you have it. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll share it with you. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, that'd be really helpful. Um, and why why do you think it is important? Because I think um, for a lot of people, networking is something that 
um, either you know they've got busy jobs already it's hard to make time for or just something they don't necessarily find comfortable or enjoyable um, or something that they just haven't thought about doing so if, if someone's listening to this and you know not certain about why to get involved in anything what would you say is the selling point um it, it what it allows you to do is develop <laughs> develop a network that is in your industry but isn't necessarily connected to work so you develop different relationships so i describe them like i've made so many friends and sort of contacts in the industry that and they do help me with work right so if i if i need something i've got a, i've got a i you know i i've got a question i want to have an off the record conversation with somebody um I know, for instance, I know you in a context that, you know, you don't work, we don't work in the same company. So if I talk, we have this conversation, it field might be boss, employer, but in these contexts, you develop relationships as more of more of friends. And so when you have to do, when you do do business with one of these people, it's like, I don't know, it's richer, it's easier um, because you know each other, you trust each other more. And so much of what we do is around you know, trust, right? Um, so if that's, that would be why I do it because it just allows you to build a different kind of network. And for someone who might be like, might be worried about it is it's also quite, it's quite low risk if you screw up, you know? So, you know, if you did go and practice having conversations with people, because what do you have to lose? You go in there and you practice the breaking into a circle of three people who were having a chat, you know, nudge your way in and then practice gracefully exiting a conversation right because we all you know if you want to network you might want to have to move on to have a chat with somebody else and in these events what do you really have to lose because again they're not people you work with so it feels it's a little bit less stressful and and you won't be alone as in that room sort of being there to practice your networking skills so that if you do go to a work event or a conference with your colleagues and you you have to network and it's a little bit might feel a little bit more high stakes you've practiced so it's not nearly as scary yeah, no, that's brilliant. And um, I'll put you on the spot with this one, but what's your favorite Exeter? Do you have a, Do you have some Exeters? Because that's the one people ask about if I'm more often than the, the entering ones. Exiting is usually, um, it's, I'm quite honest. I'd say, you know, it's really nice chatting, but I've got to go over there and talk to Frank. Mm-hmm. You know, I just say it because that, that is it. And just say it nice, nice, short, sweet. Because um, everyone other people in your circle that you're talking to will also need to break up the circle and go talk to somebody else yeah yeah I like that one one I use is to introduce somebody else as well so be like oh so and so is joined would you like me to introduce them and and then you're not leaving somebody but you're you're passing them on that's true too yeah excellent so um if people are listening to this, they're going to have a look for the show notes. They're going to see all these different networks and, and hopefully um, sign up to some of them. Hopefully we'll get some people signed up to the CII um, partner networks as well. Yeah. So for you, this has been a huge, huge part of, of your career uh, in terms of you're, you're so well known, I think it's fair to say, within within the the market. And you're very good as well at sharing things on LinkedIn, which I, I know is um, uh, something people are quite nervous, again, to do. So, yeah. so how do you find LinkedIn benefits for you with uh, promoting this stuff and other initiatives that you've got going on? So, like, uh, yeah, you are right. I, I'm very active on LinkedIn about these things because, for me, it's it's a relatively easy way to get the message out to like like-minded people who will then share and share and share. 
Um, and it was, we said earlier, this is all about awareness. So if people don't even know that the groups exist, um, you've got to, you've got to put it out there on LinkedIn so that everyone's aware. And I'm constantly banging the drum, like always, 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 always. Um, and one of the ways I try to drive up, um, engagement with the posts is, is also you make sure that you're smart with who you tag, you know, if you, and, and the, and the companies that you tag, it really does make a difference. Um, because for me, that's, that's probably the thing I do the, the most to help the partner networks is, is raise awareness that they exist so that people entering the industry can join. And, and LinkedIn is a, is a fantastic way of doing that. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I'm hoping to see um, LinkedIn become something people get more and more comfortable with. I, I heard a stat with, um, recently that only 1% of people on LinkedIn actually engage with it. Most people are watching really? it. And I ask this a lot in, in training courses when we talk about LinkedIn. Pretty much everyone says they're on it. And it's always a fine minority that write their own posts and go kind of through stages of people liking and engaging with posts. And and I say this myself, you know, like I, when I do a post, the amount of likes you get in proportion to the amount of views is tiny, absolutely yeah, tiny. Yeah, that's very true, yeah. Yeah, and I think if people don't post a lot, they feel like that's unusual and maybe means that their content isn't you know, useful or interesting. But, you know, some of the posts I, I post that get the most views, I might put a post on there that gets like, I don't know, 15,000 views. So you think it's got to be a good post if it's getting that many views. They have like 200 likes. Hey, what's that? It's just over 1%. So... No, it's it, it's kind of hopefully reassuring for people. If you're getting 50 views and, and 10 likes, it's a good post. You do, yeah. you do well. No, and that that is that is that is true. And and actually, what I, what I um what I also do is like I always tag Victor. So where I work, Victor Syndicate or Victor Insurance, and then our marketing team, you know, sort of reamplifies it by liking it or sharing the post. And that's how you build you build momentum. So if you're if you've got a post that you think is also just gonna be interesting to somebody else tag their name in it right because then that makes me aware that oh this is something i should go look at um which and so and don't be afraid of doing that because people do it all the time you know yeah. that's kind of what it that's kind of what linkedin is there for it's i could either send you an email and say oh did you know this event is happening or i could just tag you and say hey there you go and then you'll see it in your feed and you'll you know yeah. like it and sign up to an event um and yeah don't be don't be afraid of you of using it um and also i think so increasing and i'm sure you see this is like recruitment is now driven by by like linkedin right everyone you the first thing you do when you get a candidate or when i get a candidate who's applying for a role you go and see well what's their linkedin profile like you know what have they done what does it say about them um so you know make sure that you've got a that you've got a profile that it looks professional um and also don't be afraid about putting something interesting on it you know so it doesn't need to say that oh i have fantastic grades and all I ever do is work you, you can put like and I volunteer for this interesting group or I play the cello like you put something interesting about yourself on your LinkedIn profile would also be a piece of advice for me because then you're different yeah um and it'll be a it'll usually be a conversation piece in your interview about well, how do you know how do you how do I, I often get how did you go from ballet to insurance right and that'll take some that sometimes that can take half an hour right? Because they'll ask all these questions about it. And you realize the interview is done and we haven't even talked about anything other than that. Because, but then people, and again, people remember because it's an interesting story because, but then everyone's got their own interesting stories. And that's the thing. It's not, you might not, you might go, well, I didn't, I didn't do ballet. What's my, what's my interesting story? Everyone's got an interesting story. So um, yeah, don't be, don't be afraid of it. 
Brilliant. And whilst we're on advice, we end these podcasts with um, a tip for career advice. So one of your top tips for people to help them progress in their careers, what would you share? Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to say this is like a bit of a uh, advice hypocrite because I'm not always good at following this. But if you don't, if you don't ask, you don't get. So if you don't ask for an opportunity, if you don't ask to be on a project, if you don't ask for a raise, you're less likely to get it. And and what you've got to remember is when you're asking your your boss or a colleague to be in a project or to get a raise or to get a promotion, and you're really nervous about it because it's just most people are, your boss gets asked those kind of questions every bloody day. So they're not, you know what I mean? They're used to this. Like that's not stressful to them at all. But I can also tell you, I bet you they're a little bit stressed when they ask their boss for something. It is just the nature of things. So, but so don't be afraid to ask. If you want to go on a project, if you want to go on a work trip, if you want to, you know, ask for it. Because the worst that'll happen is someone's going to say no. And it's kind of like me. If you're going to drop me an email, the worst I'll do is say, I'm really busy, but can we connect in a month? Yeah. Yeah. That's I it. think that's that's the point as well there is is often the answer is so rarely no the, off, the answer is often when yes. so rather than ask oh well, you can't go on a business trip this year you know we haven't got plans for it, so on well can we talk about how I might be able to do it next year yeah or like you know and I I I had this when I was looking to get promoted in a previous role so you know I really thought I ticked all the boxes to get promoted um and I didn't and it was the my sort of career appraiser said, okay, but now we know these are the two things that you need to develop so that next year when we put you up for promotion, you get promoted. So I kind of like you said, I, I asked for it. I didn't get it, but then that led to a plan so that next year when we went up, I had I had actually had a stronger business case. Brilliant. Nice, nice to have a um, an example of that playing out for you as well in, in, in a real, real, world, real world. Because sometimes this advice just sounds like, oh, it's simple, simple, not, not easy is the phrase I often use. You know, it's simple to take these tips, but it doesn't mean it's easy to do. Well, I like that because I, whenever I do like a speed mentoring event and you get asked for advice and you sit there and people say, why do you, why do you do this? I think because the advice that you give, you sit there and you hear yourself saying it and you think, I need to do more of that. Like the advice I just gave, I, I need to do more of that, you know? And that's why it's kind of humbling because you, like you said, simple, but not easy. Cause I'm like, well, this is what you should do. But I can tell you, I had that situation yesterday and I didn't do it. So <laughs> also, you know, so, it, but it, so it, it's, that's all like that phrase, simple, but not easy. Excellent. <laughs> well, it's been great having you here, Eric, and I'll, I will tag everything we can in the, um, in, in the show notes as well so people can go in and access some of this stuff because the more people get involved the better the more connected we are as an industry and the more we're promoting the industry I know lots of people are keen to promote it and often not sure how and lots of people are keen to network and not sure where so hopefully you are um the pillar to most of that where, where they can get in touch with things so thank you so much for joining us no and- thank you and I like I'm so I'm so impressed I've seen I've seen the podcast and I've seen the work that you've done with uh, young professionals getting them interested in the industry so I think that's that's fantastic because I think once people sort of have the door open to them and they realize what is out there it's it it's, it's kind of opens their eyes and they think oh this is a career that I could get that, I, that I'm actually excited about yeah. so no thank you too no it's fun we've actually I'm, I'm counting I think I'm on six people that have come from TikTok into insurance so far that, you see, that, Isn't that, that cool? is you, 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 should, you should get you should get an article in the in the in the trade press about that because they think about that like tiktok like i don't have tiktok my niece has tiktok so you know yeah. what how yeah 
TikTok to insurance, like that, that in itself, who would have ever thought um, as a recruitment tool? Um, but it, you know, it's, you, you've got to, you've got to get the message out somehow. And I'm, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's fun. Excellent. Well, I will hopefully see you in person soon. And, and thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.